Cheyenne Studio. Today I'm speaking with Rachel Doyle, founder of Glamour Gals, a nonprofit where teen volunteers give complimentary beauty makeovers to seniors living in residential care. thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Could you tell me in your own words what Glamour Gals is and how you got started doing it? I started Glamour Gals 20 years ago as (laughs) a junior in high school. And it started as a project to honor my grandmother who had passed away. And I think as a teenager, I had always been drawn to service and creative things, but also loved fashion and beauty and makeup. And I thought, why can't I take the things that I love and I'm passionate about and use them to make someone smile? And in August of 1999, I thought of this idea to go into my local senior home where maybe I had gone like once before to uh, play my violin during the holidays or something. And instead, uh, go in and provide like a, a beauty like almost like beauty parlor-esque moment for the women. We didn't do hair because you need a license for that. But the idea of going in and applying some makeup um, and painting their nails and just hanging out with them and making them feel beautiful. And I had gone to a local senior home and the activities director was like the first question she asked me was like, who's your corporate sponsor? And the second one was, who's the adult in charge? And I'm like, (laughs) uh, hold on, writing this down. I'll be like, I'll get back to you, went out the double doors of the senior home into my mom's minivan and was like, you're an adult, can you help me? And now (laughs) I'm going to date myself. This was like pre-Google, so I opened up the yellow pages. I remember (laughs) those. Probably like in a museum now. The yellow pages and started calling cosmetic companies and pitching them about my idea to go into a local senior home and provide beauty makeovers and would they donate products. And then fast forward a couple months after that with some donated products in hand and my mom driving me in her minivan to the local senior home and two uh, friends from homeroom that I convinced to come to the senior home. We had our very first Glamour Gals makeover. So it was definitely just born out of the the want to honor my grandmother and do something where you connected with people and to do it in a way that was relevant to me and my friends. So the best medium to do that was through beauty. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really impressive that as a junior in high school, you took it upon yourself to do something like that. I feel like most high school students probably aren't really thinking about other people that much. So it's amazing that this was something that you kind of threw yourself into and got involved in. But knowing that this kind of started as this like hobby and passion project that you did with a couple friends, and now you've grown it into this national organization. You have teenagers all over the country going and doing this. 
How did you take that over time and turn it into what it is today and kind of grow it into this much larger entity? Hindsight is a beautiful thing. Now <laughs> I can reflect on almost two decades of service. I, I think even when I say that now, it's 20 years is an incredible amount of time to be doing something. But I think that I love that the cornerstone of who I am is someone who wants to explore on a daily basis being empathetic and compassionate and giving to others. And I think that is who I am as a person and that helps guide me in how I lead this organization. And in the beginning, I think um, what propelled us forward was really the press. I mean, the very first Glamour Girls Makeover had more press people there than volunteers. It was myself and two volunteers. And then the senior home put out a press release and the New York Times showed up and wrote an article. And within a year, Oprah picked up that story. And then it was on the CBS early show. It was in Glamour and Cosmo and Cosmo Girl. It was one magazine article after another when magazines existed, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but we had, I, I think I saw that this was becoming larger than my personal passion project. There was a need and a demand for it, not just in my community, but in communities around the, the country and even around the world. When we, when we were covered a year after my very first makeover on CBS, the early show, people emailed me as far as Australia. They happened wow. to see the clip and wrote and said how this was so meaningful to their, to their loved ones. You know, if it was their daughter, their mother, their great aunt, their, their child on how this organization and going into the community and spending time with seniors and doing it in a way that encouraged conversation and connection and, and learning on both sides through a very simple act of applying makeup or uh, a meaningful embrace, uh, they were propelling me forward to say, this is bigger than myself. You know, I can't just give this up. So after high school, um, in college, I wrote a lot of business plans. I really got into the entrepreneurial community. And I think that's where I tapped into this idea of social entrepreneurship and that you can have a great, uh, a great idea to do something great for the world, but if you can't execute it on an efficient and effective way and be open to evaluation and be agile to change, especially like a year like this year. Yeah. Pivot, pivot is the word everybody's using, right? <laughs> pivot. Um, you know, you need to take and hone those entrepreneurial skills to make the most impact you can on your community. So I think it was through that lens in college that I was able to apply more structure to the organization to allow it to grow to a national movement, hashtag GG movement, it is today spanning 100 communities in 18 different states and something much larger than just a personal passion project that I had. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing that you were able to kind of get all that press and get so many people involved. And I think it probably comes because it was a genuine thing you were doing. You know, you weren't out there trying to make money, trying to you know, sell anything to anyone. You were just trying to do something that made people happy. And I think, I'm sure the media picked up on that and, and reacted to it really well. Like, even right now, I feel like I go trolling for good news stories <laughs> these days because we really just need it. 
So I, I understand how that could gain a lot of traction. I want to talk to you a little bit about kind of the business side of things, because as a nonprofit, that's really different than building a startup for, you know, a tech company or selling a product online or, or something different. So what is it like running a nonprofit and how do you grow a business in that sense? You mentioned sponsorship and donations and things like that. It's a very different way of working. What has that process been like and how has it evolved over time? I think people's perspective, they approach it from a very different point, but actually if you approach it from a business mind, we're actually one in the same because I think any business owner, small or large, guards their brand very closely. And as a nonprofit, which is sort of a misnomer because you want to make a profit, the only difference is the profit isn't going to me personally. It's going back into the organization. You're investing in the programs, the people, the structure. You know, you're, you're continuing that wheel of good rather than saying, I'm going to take that piece of the pie for myself because I did something great this year. So nonprofit is a little bit of a misnomer because a well-run organization should have a strong balance sheet. It should have a profit. You just invest it differently and you're expected to invest it differently than a for-profit private company. But in terms of the operations, I really clicked with entrepreneurs because I feel like they came from it as a point of, okay, if we're creating something, the structure, the model, the brand, uh, the people, and those are all key operational points of any business. And I, I think from a nonprofit, you really just have your service and your, your brand and the people around it. So I would say those are like the three key things that the three pillars that you have to guard so closely and make sure that in your operations, they're supported. Sometimes it's challenging decisions. They're not all easy decisions to make to keep those things going forward. And as a nonprofit, your revenue streams, you know, I've, there's years where diversity is king and then you see what worked. And I think it's really important of yearly evaluations. We usually do them mid-year around January with our programming, our constituents, and then during the summer with a, a little bit of help from great interns, we can maximize just really taking a step back and saying, is what we did this year working? And from all different silos, from programming to financial, to campaigns, to marketing, you know, we were constantly evaluating every year. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting that you say it is very similar to business because whenever, if you're not in the nonprofit world, you hear the word nonprofit, you're like, well, how does that work? Which, you know, when you dive into it, it's, it's really a business structure. But when it comes to making money for the organization, that's a very different thing, right? Like most of your money probably comes from donations and sponsorships. Correct me if I, you know, if there are other ways that I don't know about, but how does so that So we are a 501c3 nonprofit. So that's a federally, you know, the, the federal government said you are a 501c3, your mission is needed in this world. And the biggest difference between 501c3 and not is that we can accept tax deductible donations. And I think what's really embedded in this conversation always comes up in a global conversation or a global audience. Yesterday, I was just speaking to a class in Tel Aviv 
uh, psychology class and they were asking about like, why aren't you here? Why aren't you there? And it comes down to resources. And in America, there is such a cultural drive to supporting organizations where our government maybe lacks in that support. And so it's ingrained in us culturally from a very young age that giving to uh, social purposes is an important part of it's the fabric of who we are as Americans. You go to European countries and so much is subsidized by the government. I almost see an entitlement of people saying like me, I would, why would I give any more to anyone else who needs it? Now, of course, that's, I don't have any statistics that I'm going to ramble <laughs> off about that. It's just from personal anecdotal knowledge and then also operating for 20 years in the U.S. Just to see culturally, the U.S. is so generous. Like Americans are just such generous people. And I think uh, we operate as an organization within that generosity. And then from like a business perspective, we have to be smart and savvy about, okay, we take in the resources, we use it in the most efficient way. And I think speaking to the donors and the people involved and letting them know that um, here's what we're doing, you know, like this is the impact we're making and clear communications with that is what, what drives that continual giving. Like, yeah, especially during, you know, a year like this year, it was our 20th year celebration. And then, you know, COVID hits, we press pause on our programming and immediately I think it shows the way we are, we're run, we're run well, I like pat myself on the back, <laughs> um, along with, you know, our boards, our councils, like I'm not the end all be all, I have a board and a council and all that stuff um, and constituents, my donors, I, I work for our, the supporters and the people we serve, not, not myself. We immediately showed our process, which is go out and ask, how's everybody doing? How can we help and what can we do next together? And through those surveys, email, phone, text, calls, whatever it was, within a week, we were able to pivot our programming and continue our mission through a pandemic. And we, up until that point, had been run fiscally responsible. So we weren't out there the first week going, oh my goodness, we need your money. It was oh my goodness, here's the issue. We want to solve it. We're here. Our volunteers are here. And this is what we're doing. And I think that narrative was very different to many other nonprofits who maybe weren't, or even for-profit businesses that were not run, you know, fiscally well before that. When yeah. we could dive into the need in the program and the really important, not important stuff, but it was important to us to continue to serve our mission of addressing elder isolation and fostering those, you know, empathy among teen volunteers and continuing that through this. And we were, we have been able to do that and hope to continue to do that. Yeah. I want to touch on that a little more without, you know, dwelling too much on COVID because I feel like we've all been experiencing it for four months and we're probably going to continue experiencing it for another year and a half or so, but I won't uh, belabor that point. But you, in particular, your business goes into elder care facilities, which have been hit particularly hard, and that has to have taken a toll both, you know, I think mentally for anybody working in your business, and then also for what you do in general, you know, the idea of sending young people into these residential living facilities is, is not something that can happen right now. It's just not safe for anyone. So how have you dealt with that? Because I feel like 
besides the restaurant industry, you're one of the few, you know, businesses I think that have been like really meaningfully impacted by this in a way that is kind of around your whole business. So how have you been dealing with that? So for the past couple years, I've been sharing the stat of 60% of seniors in care are not visited. Now that number as of COVID is 100%. And that is a mountain we have to move. And we immediately went back to what are our priorities as an organization and looked inward to say, well, our first ones is to make sure that our volunteers are supported and given the resources and the tools to get through a difficult time for them. We were sort of double hit. Like teenagers are told no more school, no more graduation, no more prom, no more life, no social. Like it was just like telling them, teen, being a teenager is dramatic anyway, I think. Yeah. So like everything is like bigger and the most you know life-defining experience. So to have everything like that, we had to recognize that you know, the people serving our mission needed us as an organization and we couldn't just let them figure this out on their own. So we immediately jumped in and said, you know, we're holding chapter, uh, chapter leader calls. So like national calls to come together and providing them from their feedback and ideas. It was their forward positive thinking saying, here's ideas. And then as an organization, we prevent the structure, we present the structure to them and they, with their creativity and excitement that somebody is not giving up on them, they say, oh, great, I'll help, you know, move it forward. So our first was our My Dear Friend campaign, and that is uh, a letter writing campaign, so we can't go in. And we, from hearing from the senior homes, you know, we've always designed programming with intention. You know, the idea of applying makeup to someone's face, there's an intention in that. Like, it's going to sit on someone's face until maybe they say they don't want it or they don't like it, but the moment is there and recognized, and then it always can be changed. And I think there's something with a handwritten letter that you're not, like, when you use a marker or a crayon, you can't just press the backspace. You have to think about what you're saying. Uh, so... We, we, we applied that same sort of relevance and intention to our new programming that we were presenting to our volunteers and to allow us to connect with the seniors. Now talking about seniors, they're hit, you know, so incredibly hard. And it was, I mean, we, we tried not to pry too much into each senior home's crisis situation because it is what it is. Instead, we just tried to offer solutions to move forward in a positive way. So the reason why we chose My Dear Friend is that some of the homes that wrote needed 20 letters, others needed 150, others needed 300. And we didn't want to write a letter to Helen and another Helen miss out. We wanted to make sure every senior was accounted for in these letters. So by saying My Dear Friend, they could be easily and safely distributed. Nobody would be left out. And it would efficiently allow us to communicate quickly uh, with the seniors in the homes and let them know, hey, we are thinking of you, we have not forgotten about you, and here's something special from me. And we've already delivered almost 3,000 kind notes, wow. my dear friend notes. Uh, we're hoping to hit 5,000 by the end of this month. And what's really been incredible in the other programming that we've put forth is the democratization 
of allowing a broader network of people to enter our service. So although we're working with two groups, the teens and the seniors who are both incredibly impacted by this, there's almost this positive light at the end of the tunnel that through our creativity, we're finding actually a broader way to encourage others to be part of our service. So we actually had like 30 additional networks from schools, corporations, other organizations, friends and family groups committing to being a part of our service during this time because of our creativity and openness to allow them into our service. So one of them was the My Dear Friend, another we pivoted, I'm, I'm showing pictures right now. Just <laughs> we made um, one of the senior homes, or not one, actually a couple, requested coloring books, I guess as a personal individual activity. And we said, well, instead of just like sending a, a coloring book from Amazon or something, why don't we actually illustrate and share the program we so much loved to the past 20 years via illustrations and quotes and actual based in actual program photos. So this coloring page that I'm sharing is actually based on a Bloomfield, New Jersey chapter photo that we converted into it. And uh, I think when you have something special, you write it down, you illustrate it and you share it with people as, you know what, during this time, we're not going to forget what we did, but we want a reminder of what we want to get back to as a community, as humankind, the embrace that we want to get back to, and to not forget. So that's another vehicle we're using to share and educate about our program. And also it's kind of cathartic to just color a page of something positive, like two people smiling and embracing each other. So, and the, the third uh, that we right out of the gate was our Glammy Scholarship Awards, which usually is a one-time event in New York City, honoring our outstanding volunteers. We created Glammy, which became a <laughs> month-long celebration culminating in a live hot pink carpet. You can find it on our IGTV, as well as literally a live broadcast of our Glammy uh, Scholarship Awards via a YouTube link. Everyone's like, you're crazy for going live. But there was an energy that we created within the Glamour Gals community and more that there was something for the volunteers to look forward to. So, you know, our priorities moving forward are really to make sure that we are supporting and providing the resources for our volunteers, as well as continuing to address the issue of senior isolation and doing it in a creative, relevant way that's impactful. Yeah. The ways that you've been able to pivot and come up with creative solutions to the time I think are really inspiring and I'm sure have been making a lot of people feel really good in this this time where I'd say all of us don't feel so good, maybe. <laughs> you mentioned the stat about senior isolation that 60% normally are not visited in, in these homes and currently it's 100% because nobody's allowed, which it, it seems like a staggering amount that most of us probably aren't aware of. I would assume that, you know, most seniors in residential living have family that are coming to visit them pretty often, but it's kind of amazing that that's not happening. And I guess my question for you is kind of on that like emotional level, how have you seen what you do, whether it's the makeovers you've been doing for 20 years or these, you know, letters that you're currently doing in the coloring book, how have you seen that impact the seniors that you work with and what, kind of feeling and emotion does it bring to them? How does it change their experience living in 
a, a residential facility. Absolutely. The, the impact is there. And I, I mean, I always, the first thing I usually say to people is join us at one of our Glamour Gals makeovers and just see it for yourself. I have experienced probably over 10,000 uh, Glamour Gals meetings, meetups at the senior homes. And each one is unique, but each one is characterized by, you know, a little bit of hesitancy in the room. And then it blossoms into this conversation and exchange. And as an organization over the past decade, we've actually captured so many of those. So, oh yes, we have survey data. We survey the senior homes. We survey the volunteers. We have those numbers to talk about transformation and impact. But going one step further, on our national program, we have the opportunity for volunteers to journal, do like a reflective journal. It's not mandatory, but over the years we've collected over 10,000 journals. And those journals are now being uh, reviewed by a professor at Stevens Institute of Technology for trends and things. And her immediate findings were that the exchange between generations netted positive and that there, there was all these key words she found, which were like creativity, transformation, positive, learning, you know, empathy, compassion. I think all the things we're looking for to develop in ourselves these days more than ever, empathy and compassion and understanding and patience. So those keywords, but even going one step further than that, it's reading those journals daily where I hear from a girl in maybe, I don't know, Tennessee. I've never met her. She might not even know who I am. And she writes about how the interaction she had at the senior home or connecting with her fellow volunteers about this program has literally changed the trajectory of her professional ideas of what she could be and who she wants to be personally and how it's transformed her life. And she just divulges that in a journal to us. It's just the most inspiring thing to read on like a Wednesday morning when you go into work being like, am I making a difference? And then on the senior side, we were actually able to have one of the seniors from our homes join us on our hot pink carpet. So having someone who is like maybe in her 80s or 90s go on Instagram and be interviewed live on our hot pink carpet, I think everybody was just crying, seeing to be able to connect with people and to connect and hear from her, to hear her say to us, we can't wait for you to come back. I mean, it's sometimes just the simplest phrases that come from the seniors that hit you so hard and, and make you stop in our busy lives, even busy quarantined lives, uh, to say, wow, this is like bigger than myself. And all I did was take a little bit of time, that precious time out of my day, to let someone else know that they're worthy of my time, that they're beautiful, that they're worth listening to. And it's, it's just all very universal, simple things that we do that make us stop and see, wow, like that was really powerful. Yeah, it's amazing that these little things that feel so simple can make such a big difference to somebody if they're not hearing that every day or, or not used to getting to experience that. People used to be, their jaw would drop to the floor when I said 60%. And I think now that at one point or another, the world 
had to be like self-isolated in some respect. And we couldn't even handle it for like a week. Yeah. We were like, <laughs> what do you mean? I can't hug people. I can't see my parents. I can't, I'm afraid to maybe even interact with my kids, you know, like it was so jarring. Now imagine somebody living in a senior home for years and not receiving a hug or a visitor or, and this isn't hospice, like senior care is not hospice. These people are living people who, if you think about it, have like eight decades or nine decades of experience and stories and knowledge that is being, is waiting to be un, untapped by a Glamour Girls volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> what it's waiting for. It's waiting for us to, you know, engage and walk through those double doors or pick up that phone or connect via that letter and let them know that like we 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 want to capture that. Yeah, they definitely deserve it and I'm really glad you're out there doing that. For anybody it's who might- me, it's definitely way more than me doing yeah, it. Like you and mom, everyone. <laughs> our, our volunteers, our council and board members, our staff and our interns like it takes uh you know building a great team to make something work for sure. Yeah. So for anybody who might be interested in getting involved in any way, if they hear this and they're inspired and want to help out, how might somebody do that? Well, if you're on social media, you can hit us up at Glamour Gals. You can even find my feed at GG Founder and our website, glamourgals.org. You can literally click on learn more at the top. There's a hot pink bar right now. Um, our website's going under it's there, but it has our usual programming. So I ask people to be clicking the hopping bar at the top, learn more, because that shares our new programming that we're moving forward with at this point. And there's definitely opportunities. Anybody can write a My Dear Friend letter. It starts with literally My Dear Friend. Grab a piece of printer paper. Uh, you can invite your friends to like a virtual note writing, get together to do it. So anybody can do it anywhere. Uh, we still want to match people with senior homes, so that's a lot of fun, as well as there's a couple of the coloring book pages to download, so if you have someone who would love to see that, we're hoping to launch that later this summer and use it in all different ways, especially as a, a way to connect with the seniors as well, and um, we'll, be, we'll be launching even more programming. So we've been here for 20 years. We're not going anywhere, although we've pressed pause on our old programming, like I said, the passion and the forward thinking of our volunteers has driven us into continuing to serve and we're excited to invite everybody in. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. What you're doing and what Glamour Girls are doing is amazing. And I hope more people listen to this and want to get involved. I know like I definitely feel inspired after listening and it's, it's such a good cause and so cool that you've spent your career doing this. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you.